Welcome back, brothers, to another episode of Our Very Own Balanced Men. This week, you are in for an absolute treat as we are joined by Brother Jeremy Pointsnow. At 19, Brother Jeremy was your typical college sophomore. Friends, sports, fraternity, and most importantly, a perfect 2020 vision. Then it happened. No warning, no time to prepare. Life began to blur. Literally. Over the next few months, Jeremy lost central vision in his right eye, followed closely by his left. The diagnosis was a rare genetic disorder, and it's a disease that affects a mere 100 people in the U.S. each year with no treatment or cure in sight. At first, Jeremy thought losing his vision meant forfeiting his life, but he soon learned that with every challenge comes an opportunity for growth. When Jeremy lost his central vision, he thought the game of golf he loved was over. But with some hard work, dedication, and the support of his amazing family and friends, he quickly learned that his golfing career had only just begun. At 20 years old, and with his dad as his guide, Jeremy competed in and won the 2010 World Blind Golf Championship with a dramatic chip in a playoff. They have since gone on to win eight national championships, an Australian Blind Open, an Italian Blind Open, and two more World Blind Golf Championships. And in 2011, Jeremy was honored as the San Diego Hall of Champions Challenge Athlete of the Year. Now, Jeremy strives to raise awareness for the genetic disorder and disease that took his sight, along with the help of his friends. And they created CURE, which stands for Cycling Under Reduced Eyesight. And it's a ride that is an annual fundraiser that has raised over $350,000 for LHON research. And their goal is to raise a million. Today, Jeremy is an inspirational speaker where he travels the world sharing his story to inspire audiences to take control of their lives and turn trauma into triumph. Jeremy's objective when he steps in front of an audience is not to dictate how to succeed in life, but to convince individuals that independence is good while interdependence is great. This brother has had the privilege of being featured on ABC's 2020, ESPN.com, CNN's Great Big Story, and many others, and he was honored as one of SIGEP's 40 Under 40. This episode was an absolute honor to record, and I hope you all enjoy it. That being said, let's dive right in. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Our Very Own Balanced Men. This week, have a phenomenal guest with us, uh, a brothers whose story should be shared uh, across the country, our brother, Jeremy. Jeremy, thanks for being on the podcast this week. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. There's so much that you've been able to do already in your, your career, but also in, in your SIGEP experience. And... I kind of want to go back to um, to where it, your your journey really got interesting. You're you're 19. You're a college sophomore, and and, and you start to start to lose some sight, right? As things uh, start to get blurry, um, take us take us through that process. Um, I'm sure it was it was a pretty impactful experience. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, I went off to San Diego State University uh, and joined SIGEP my freshman year fall semester and loved it and sophomore year same thing everything was going great I was in the prime of my life 19 years old and one day I noticed I had to squint to read a sign and so I just thought I'd 
needed glasses or contacts. I didn't think too much about it. And in the next two months, my sight went from perfect 2020 to where it is now. I'm now legally blind with no central vision due to a rare genetic disorder I had no idea I had called Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy, or LHON. And so I'm uh, no longer able to read, drive, or distinguish faces. And that happened in a matter of months when I was a 19-year-old sophomore. Wow. That's, and that's amazing, too. In just a span of a few months, going from, like you said, the, the prime of, of your undergraduate experience, uh, loving the sophomore life as a SIGEP, to, to losing your sight. Um, I, I'm curious then, like how how did you handle that at first? Um, because that's that's got to be so tough. I, I can't imagine. Like, how did you you handle that that news at first of hearing you have this rare disease that like what a hundred people in the entire country have, right? Uh, about on average, a hundred people in the U.S. are diagnosed with it okay. each year. It's extremely rare. One in fifty thousand people wow. get it. Um, and so, how did I handle it? I was taken aback. I was at a loss. I was uh, frustrated, upset, depressed, scared, everything. Um, but I went through the stages of grief. I, I started with denial. I didn't believe that what happened actually happened. I thought I would wake up from a nightmare. I then went to anger. I was mad. I was pissed off. I was mad at the world. I didn't understand how that could happen. I then went to bargaining where I started to think, what did I do to deserve this? And what, what can I do to make things go back to the way they were? Whatever it is, I do it. And then I went to depression, which is very real. Um, the fourth stage, I think it's something we don't talk about enough, but I was definitely depressed and, and having a really tough time with the whole thing. And finally, after a period of time, you reach acceptance, but Research says it takes on average two years to go from a traumatic life experience to reaching acceptance. I'd say for me, it took over a year, uh, maybe a year, year and a half for me to really reach acceptance. Mm -hmm. But I had to go through those stages of grief, and that's kind of what I went through. But when it comes to school and fraternity, uh, I really wasn't focused on any of those things when I was going through it because life in general, I had no idea what was going on. and was so at a loss when it comes to life in general. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. And you mentioned going through those, those stages. Um, I, I'm curious, like what, what type uh, of brotherly love did you experience um, from your chapter brothers as, as uh, did, what did you have then for like as a support system from, from your home chapter there as, as you were navigating through that journey? Oh man, the brotherly love was extremely real. Um, I, after losing my sight, I was a year and a half into college, and I thought the easiest thing to do would be to drop out. I mean, to drop out is easy. I don't have to go back. I don't have mm -hmm. to deal with being viewed as, quote, unquote, different. Uh, I didn't have to tell people the story. I didn't have to deal with awkward moments. Mm -hmm. I was like, easiest thing for me to do is drop out. I'm done. That's whatever. I'm good. And one of my best friends and fraternity brothers, Josh, uh, Sigat brother who joined the semester after me, but is one of my closest friends. He said, Hey, come back to school. And I know it's going to be harder for you, but instead of taking a full five class schedule, take two classes, take two easy classes. 
And he said, in my five class schedule, I'll take those same two classes with you and I'll help you out. And I was like, okay, well, at that point, why not try? If I go back and do two easy classes and I don't enjoy it and, and deal with those awkward moments and it's too much, then I can drop out. But why not at least give it a shot? And so because he made that offer, I took him up on the offer and I came back to school. I took two easy classes. I took intro to music and intro to film, which a hey, intro to film for a blind guy was actually pretty tough. And uh, Josh took those classes with me, helped me out helped me walk to and from class, helped me tell the professors I was legally blind and needed accommodations. And he helped me study for the exams in the classes, which helped me pass the classes. And I can honestly say if it wasn't for Josh, my fraternity brother, um, I would not have gotten back into school and wouldn't have gone on to, to graduate. So he really helped me out and helped me get back into the swing of things and kind of helped bring some normalcy to my life again when it was a very abnormal time. Wow. That is, that's so powerful. Um, and, and I, I can't imagine that having, having your brother there all semester to by your side to help navigate that transition of, of continuing to go to school. And it sounds like too, like from that core group, uh, I know that what, Oh nine, um, a few brothers were awarded the, um, Honor Felius as well at uh, Grand Chapter Conclave as well. Uh, what was that experience like? Were you were you there at Conclave when they were awarded that? Um, if so, like what what were the emotions like um, when they received that honor? I wasn't there, uh, but Josh was one of the three to receive it. Uh, he, KJ Higgins, Eric Kaloya were the three who received it. But the thing that is, is there's a couple other guys who didn't receive it, but I think should have, uh, because it wasn't just one, it wasn't just three, it was countless um, brothers who helped me out to to get from that traumatic experience to go from survival to from surviving to thriving, really. And um, I wasn't there; I was on summer vacation with my family or something, and I heard about it and didn't really understand it, didn't know what it was all about. And I remember our first chapter meeting back um, the next fall, um, one of our exec members read what was read in front of everybody um, when Josh, who was there, accepted the award. And when he read it, uh, I started crying. And uh, I remember Eric Loya, who also got the award, he was crying at the meeting. And uh, we, we hugged it out and cried a little bit together. And that was, uh, it was pretty surreal. Wow. That's pretty special, uh, a great memory. And you mentioned that uh, of going from surviving to thriving uh, along on the support of your brothers and, and getting to that point of acceptance. And um, in a way has, has led you on this amazing streak with the sport uh, of blind golf. And so I'm curious, I'm actually dying to know, like, how did you at first hear of blind golf? Um, because I, I'd never heard of it until I'd come across your story. Um, how in the world did you hear of this? And on top of that, like, what made you want to go into this, um, this sport? Well, yeah, most people don't know about it, have never heard about it. I had never heard about it until I lost my sight. Uh, I was a golfer my whole life growing up. I played three years varsity in high school. Um, maybe could have played at a D2, D3 
college, but wanted the D1 college experience uh, and went to San Diego State. And after I lost my sight, I thought the game of golf was over for me. Uh, it's, it's such a visual sport. I, I didn't think I was going to ever play again. And my mom, who's amazing, she's incredible. She was doing tons of research mm-hmm. when I lost my sight and uh, helping diagnose what I went through. She, she was the one who really diagnosed um, me with the condition. She, she was the one who found it. But in doing her research, she found the USBGA, the United States Blind Golf Association. And for her, a light bulb went off and thought, wow, this is perfect. Like, this is going to be something that's going to help Jeremy get back on a path of normalcy again. And she told me about it, told me that there were blind golf tournaments uh, all over the world. And I, I thought she was kidding. I thought she was cracking a joke to boost my spirits. I thought, mom, there's no way blind people play golf. I mean, that's, that's really cool. But no, I mean, I thought she was kidding. Um, but there is such thing as blind golf and there's tournaments all over the world. And every blind golfer has a guide, someone who helps them out on every shot. And I ended up uh, competing with my dad as my guide, which is really cool. He, he's my teammate, my partner on the golf course. He is basically my eyes on the course and describes the hole and helps helps us do what we do. But I, I, I was extremely hesitant at first. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to play because to me, um, when I could see and when I could, when I played golf, when I was sighted, one of my least favorite things was slow play. And so for me, I, I thought blind golf has to be the epitome of slow play. <laughs> so I was pretty, I was pretty anti of the, the idea when my first present, my mom first presented it, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, now, now I play, uh, blind golf around the world with my dad as my guide. And it's something that, yeah, didn't, didn't know it existed. And now it's something that I'm absolutely obsessed with. Wow. And and I think play is an understatement as well. Absolutely dominate in the sport as well. And and so that was going to be my next question. Uh, One, I think that's so cool too, that you're able to have your, your, your dad is your, your caddy and as your guide for the sport. Um, so I, I know that you, you go to that first world championship in what, 2010, uh, and, and you end up winning it. Um, yeah. it was so cool. And, Super. you know, and, and it went with the timeline of it, not incredibly long, you know, after losing your sight. So take me through what were the emotions back then in, in 2010 uh, when you when you win that first championship with your dad right there with you, so the 2010 World Blind Golf Championship uh, was in England, and there were 60 competitors, 14 different countries, and it was my dad and my third competitive blind golf tournament and our first international blind golf tournament, and so uh, I was 20 years old. I was an unknown, uh, and we just wanted to go out there, have fun, enjoy the experience, and do the best that we could. And after two days, we did exactly that, and come to find out that we tied for the win and we were going to a playoff. And so we went into a playoff against a guy from England. 
we both ended up having short chip shots to the hole and with my dad guiding me uh for the short chip shots he'll stand in between me and the hole on the line we want to chip it on i line up to his backside since i can't see the flag i line up to him and then i tell him he's good he moves out of the way i hit i hit the shot came off the club perfectly rolled out and it ended up actually going in the hole and i turned to my dad he he screamed it went in and everything after that was a blur well uh pun intended uh, <laughs> it was uh it was it was an epic experience it was one of the coolest moments of my entire life uh my parents my mom was there my girlfriend was there and one of our really close friends was there and it it's it's a moment where i went from living what i thought was a nightmare that i was going to wake up from in the early stages post losing my sight to in that moment chipping in to win the world blind golf championship with my dad as my guide and getting to enjoy the experience with him all of a sudden living a dream and the juxtaposition of where i was in the fall of 2019 uh sorry 2000 fall of 2008 when i lost my sight to the summer of 2010 when we win the world blind golf championship is so vastly different um and it's so cool to to kind of see where where we went from that valley to that peak it was it's it's pretty crazy to think about wow yeah i i can't imagine to the uh the rush of adrenaline uh as he's screaming it went in and and, nuts. and now too um such a successful career too as you've continued uh within blind golf um i mean honestly the the tournament wins and all that could take up half of the podcast episode there but i i've got to ask like what has been um since you've gone into the sport and, and fallen in love with it what would you say has been the most rewarding part of competing within blind golf um yeah, what's been that most satisfying part of this journey so far for you within the sport? I would say two things. One, meeting other blind and visually impaired folks who play blind golf around the world. Uh, a lot of people want to sympathize for us because we're blind or visually impaired, but no blind golfer needs sympathy. I mean, we're, we're the folks who got off our butt and are still pursuing our passion mm-hmm. uh, and a competitive level around the world. So they're all extremely inspiring to me. Uh, it's, it's so cool to hear their stories and hear what they've gone through to now competing in blind golf tournaments like, like us. Um, and the second thing that I love most about it is being able to share the experience with my dad. It's, it's really cool. I mean, golf is an individual sport if you make a birdie you pat yourself on the back and you're you're pumped for yourself but blind golf is a team sport uh i'm I'm only as good as my dad is as a guide and and so we as a team uh, are competing out there and so it's really cool to share the experience with him i didn't win the world championship in 2010 my dad and i did together as a team and it's something that i know uh i think i think i'll appreciate i i I appreciate it more the older I get mm-hmm. and I know that I'll be in a rocking chair one day looking back on it and realize the gravity of how cool it is. I think I get it now, but I think the older I get, uh, I appreciate it more and more. Yeah. 
Wow. And, and so, like, with that short short time period from, like, early in the fall of 2008, like, losing your sight to that, I mean, you've you made, you took, like, in your words, from a nightmare to a dream and made the best of a difficult situation. So I'm curious for, I mean, undergraduates out there that, that might be in a, a difficult situation or, or face, you know, some massive obstacle, what would your go-to advice be for that, that undergraduate brother? Uh, I think it, we're all going to face trauma in our lives. We're all going to face challenges, uh, and there's no way to really uh, gauge, oh, that's worse than what I went through, or, oh, wow, that's not as bad as what I... At the end of the day, what affects you affects you. So we're all going to deal with something. And my advice would be, as I look back on what I went through and, and what helped me a lot, uh, I would say to, to kind of make it easy, uh, easily digestible and easy to remember is I believe in the four P's. So the four P's are purpose, passion, perspective, and people. And if you have those four things in your life, that can help you get from that nightmare or that challenging situation to thriving again. And it's not something that's easy. You can't just snap your fingers and get all four P's. You really got to work at it and, and find out what, you know, what they are. What's, what is it that uh, provides you with purpose? What's something that you can do that's bigger than yourself? Passion. What's something you're passionate about? We, we just talked about blind golf. That, that was huge perspective we got to maintain perspective on our situation it's easy to think woe is me this is the toughest thing ever wow am i ever going to get over this we we need to maintain perspective on the situation and then finally what i think is most important is people uh, we couldn't get through things alone uh, i wouldn't have reached acceptance if it wasn't for my cigarette brothers if it wasn't for my my girlfriend my family uh, the quality people around me. Um, and so I think the four P's is what I would say is, is my advice for someone out there who's dealing with a tough time. Uh, focus on those four P's. And if you're, whenever you get into a rut, kind of think back on those four P's. What, you know, use it as a checklist. What are, what are each of those things for you? Nice. I, I love the, the four P's. Purpose, passion, perspective, and, and people. I'll, I'll dig a, d a bit deeper with it as well because I'm fascinated by this. So then what advice then do you have for um, uh, undergraduates and alumni brothers alike in terms of cul like cultivating that, that perspective, right, uh, of making the best uh, of a bad situation sometimes? Um, what, is, what's, what would your advice be for that with perspective? Yeah, good question. Uh, I think... I think you kind of develop or, or you you gain perspective the more you kind of uh, broaden your horizons, I guess, or, or think about things other than yourself. Like if all I thought about was how tough it was for me to lose my sight, uh, yeah, that then I, I would I would still be curled up in a ball and on the couch. Um, but around the same time when I lost as when I lost my sight, there was a big news story going on in San Diego and an F-18 plane crash landed and destroyed a couple houses. Mm. Pilot ejected safely. He was the only one in the plane. He survived. But from the wreckage, four people died from this accident. It was a man's wife, his mother-in-law, and his only two children. Only four people to perish from this accident. 
And so for some reason, when I was at my parents' house complaining and sulking about my situation, I had the news on TV and they held a press conference for this guy. And he went up to the podium, bawling his eyes out, crying. And he said, if anyone knows how to deal with this type of tragedy, please help me. And that for me was a big dose of perspective. I thought, whoa, I'm complaining about being legally blind. This guy just lost four family members. And so I think when it comes to perspective, it's realizing that there are a lot. Like what what helped me out in the beginning was I continuously said things could always be worse. That was kind of my mantra. It's not the best mantra. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but it helped me because I kept reminding myself that when I couldn't see certain things or I wasn't able to drive somewhere like I used to be able to, when I would say the mantra to myself of things could always be worse, kind of put me back in, in check and realize like, hey, it's okay, we'll be all right. And so when it comes to perspective, I think realizing that things could always be worse uh, is, is something that I think would, would be helpful. Wow, that's a powerful story. I, I appreciate you sharing. And even too with the, with the perspective bit, that's, that's a perfect segue into another component because even even with being diagnosed with this um, with this disease and um, you know coming to coming to terms with it you took a took a unique bold step forward in starting the cure ride with some fraternity brothers to, to raise money which I think is so cool uh, so tell me uh, what 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 is core or excuse me cure on, on a base level and what led to um, the creation was it with of it? Was it just like a, a few brothers sitting around the chapter house, bouncing around ideas? Um, what what led to this uh, amazing journey? Yeah. So when talking about the honor of Phileas, uh, my fraternity brother Mark Prophet is one who should have gotten it, but he he didn't. But he he is really the the reason the cure ride was founded. Um, my buddy Mark was uh, my fraternity brother, one of my closest friends, and my roommate at the time I lost my sight. And we we had a bunk bed. I was on top. He was on the bottom bunk. And uh, we would have a lot of late-night conversations after I lost my sight, just talking about life and the meaning of life. And there, there were a lot of questions I had after losing my sight that I didn't have before. Um, and so he was... He's, he's always been a really good conversationalist and we, we get along really well. And so we just have a lot of late night conversations and he could tell that I wasn't as active as I once was um, socially, just in general. I just was a little, uh, I wasn't as excited about life. And so he wanted to do something to, to help in some way. And in one of our late night conversations, we thought, you know, LHON, which caused me to lose my sight, has no treatment and no cure. Well, let's let's try to do something about that. What can we do? We're not we're not doctors. We're not majoring in uh, in bio and then working our way on to med school. So we we're not going to do anything on that front. But what can we do? And so we decided, you know, what we could raise money and awareness to help find a cure for LHON. And so we were bouncing different ideas off of each other, and we decided to start the Cure Ride. It's an acronym, stands for Cycling Under Reduced Eyesight. 
and we said let's let's do a bike ride to raise money and awareness and obviously a blind guy doesn't just ride on a single bike that that, that wouldn't be good for anybody um and so we ride on a tandem bike i'm on the back of a tandem with mark as my captain on the front and in our first year in 2009 the summer of 2009 we had four riders and raised just over three thousand dollars and the ride has grown in size since it's a tight-knit group of my closest fraternity brothers and friends about 20 to 25 of us do it and last year was our 11th year of the ride and in 11 years we've helped raise over three hundred fifty thousand dollars for lhn research which is awesome and it's making a big impact on the research for this rare genetic disorder and it would not be possible if it wasn't for for mark who's an amazing human being and um, i'm really grateful to have had him as a roommate when i lost my sight for all of this to come to fruition wow and that's amazing too to hear it grow from four four friends to now 11 years later all those riders in three hundred and fifty thousand dollars absolutely amazing and so like Tell me, like, what is what does this project mean to you personally? Then, because I know your aspirations are high with it. You got that goal of raising a million dollars, you know, to fund research for this. Uh, but what does this project mean to you personally? Well, if we go back to the four Ps, this is my purpose piece. Like, this is something that is bigger than myself, and it's something I look forward to doing every single year. And so as long as we're doing something like this, it, it gives me uh, a meaning in, in my life. Uh, it gives me meaning. It gives me something to look forward to. It's something I'm excited about. And when when you're in college and you're an undergrad and you're in SIGEP, you have like your social life is, is good. You, you're around your brothers all the time. And when you graduate, all of a sudden it goes away and, and, and you you kind of go through a process of trying to deal with that. Like, okay, what, what, what do I do? I mean, I'm, I'm so used to just like going to the room next door and talking to my two fraternity brothers. And and now I, I, I'm not able to do that. Um, so that's, that's tough. And, and that's where the cure I kind of helps for, for us is it's something that every single year we know we're going to get together and have four days in a row where we're riding on bikes. We're having, fun dinners and we're just having a really good time all with the purpose of raising money for this cause and so it's it, it's selfishly uh, a really fun experience that i love spending time with these quality guys uh and then selflessly we're, we're doing it uh to do something bigger than ourselves and try to make an impact wow and i imagine that's an insane amount of fun too with uh, all the brothers together to ride and quite a powerful purpose behind it like you said and, and I know too that went on to uh, you were recognized as a SIGEP fellow uh, due to the cure ride so uh, take me through what what it, what was that like receiving um, that honor because that was shortly after you had started the, the project as well with some of your brothers so uh, what was that like to be honored in that way Oh man, that was, that was really cool. I think it's, it's again, one of those things where I get credit where, uh, Mark should be getting credit and a bunch of other guys should be getting credit. Um, but it was, I wrote basically a draft of what 
what the Curide is and what we're doing and how I, I believe it's a service learning project and and to get uh, awarded brother fellow you got to do a 500 hour service learning project and so um, we we had all the writers go meet with my doctor and we had lunch with him and he kind of did a Q&A session with us so that we could all learn about the disease a little more and mm-hmm. where the money's going and what he's trying to do to help find a cure for it. So uh, that was uh, really a, a good learning experience for everybody involved. And then um, doing the ride, we we did what we do. And, and then I wrote a 19-page report explaining what we did for that year's ride and uh, all the hours involved in planning, preparation, and execution. And uh, sent that in and then got an email saying that uh, I was uni- unanimously uh, voted to receive the award and uh, it was it's it's a really it's a really cool thing it's a feather in my cap but at the end of the day it's uh, not the reason for doing it I'm doing it to to make a difference with my guys and it's something like I said I look forward to doing every single year and uh, yeah I got the credit but uh, a lot of guys are a big part of it it wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for mark and and a lot of other people and so uh i'm i'm really grateful to to have gotten it and to be able to to continue doing the ride and what's really cool too just a quick little tangent when we do the ride we stay at a lot of uh uh, friends houses Mm -hmm. um, and we stay at you know families houses who have we have children or we stay at a fraternity brother's parents house in Hermosa beach. And we stay at another guy's parents house in Irvine and all of these in Southern California. And I think we're really also helping change the stereotype of what people might think 20 to 25 fraternity men might do when they get together for a four day period. You kind of have the stereotypes of what people might envision us doing mm-hmm. and maybe getting rowdy or crazy and this and that, but we're changing that stereotype because we're waking up early and getting on the bikes and making a difference and doing something bigger than ourselves. And uh, when we when we stay at the houses, we want to leave the house better than when we got there. So we're it's really cool the, as one of the organizers to in the morning getting the guys up and getting ready to go on the bikes you see these guys up at 6 a.m uh putting pillows away folding blankets and and doing things that it's 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 really cool and and i i also call it the nba cure ride and nba stands for no bad apples Mm. Um, every single one of these guys on the ride is just a class act and um I, i love every single one of them so yeah it's uh it's really really cool that is wow and just such an influential SIGEP undergraduate experience and it sounds like the way that you speak of some of your chapter brothers as well such influence influential brotherly love as well for and, sure and so now you've you've got blind golf going as well um and speaking um speaking and you've spoke to to so many other large organizations noteworthy organizations uh, what is that that message that you you work to share with all these organizations and the people that you meet with? Yeah, so I've, I've been speaking professionally for seven years now, and uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, I get to travel different places, um, speak to large events, um, 
obviously with the pandemic, uh, I'm not traveling and I'm not speaking in front of large audiences in person, but I've been doing a lot of virtual stuff. And the message I try to get across to these groups is that independence is good, but interdependence is great. And I think we need to value interdependence more in our lives personally and professionally. And what I mean by that is to be more comfortable and asking others for help and offering to help those around us. When I was fully sighted and got my driver's license at 16, I was slowly gaining my independence and then going off to college and living in the dorms and then joining SIGAP. I was just gaining my independence and loving it. And I thought that was the pinnacle, just being fully independent and never asking for help and never needing anybody. Like that's, that's the dream. But after losing my sight, I was fearful that I was going to be dependent on others the rest of my life. And I thought I was screwed. But the more when I went through those stages of grief, reach acceptance and started to regain my independence again, now just as someone who's visually impaired and had to go about it a new way, I started to see the value and the importance of interdependence uh, in asking friends for help and riding on a tandem bike with Mark and having Josh help me to and from class and, and get back into school and, and having my dad as my teammate uh, and, and guide and blind golf. So uh, I think interdependence is crucial and that's something that we all need to embrace in our lives. Wow. An important and extremely valuable message too, to share. I dig that. So many valuable stories and tidbits. However, uh, I'd be remiss not to go through the lightning round. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the show, the fast hitting questions where we try to squeeze out the, the, the last remnants of wisdom out of our guests. That being said, uh, are you ready for the lightning round there, Jeremy? As ready as I'll ever be. Alrighty. Um, the best advice or quote that you try to live your life by on a daily basis? Uh, I'll just go with... Um... I'll go with a quote that I, I really like. I've been thinking about a lot lately. Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Hmm. Classic. Great this, quote. This one may be tough. Uh, most impactful SIGET mentor or brother on your life personally and the lesson that you learned from them. Um, I can't just pick one. Mark Prophet, uh, and starting the cure ride with me um, lesson I learned from him is just being open to creating new things, throwing out ideas and not being afraid. Um, Josh Rausch, um, willing to lend a helping hand uh, and not make it a big deal. Um, and then I'm going to throw out Eric Loya and KJ as well. Those uh, were two other fraternity brothers that I got to mention who were uh, influential in my life. Nice. Nice. Next is the, the billboard question. Say you hypothetically have this giant billboard for the entire world to see. What message are you putting on that billboard and why? Uh, I'm putting in small print independence is is good and then in big print interdependence is great 
and I'm putting that there to get people thinking because I didn't really know what interdependence meant until I lost my sight. Mm-hmm. And so I want people to see it, think about it, research it, and embrace it in their lives. That's what I would put. Nice. And then my favorite question of them all, the walkout song question, say that you, uh, you're, uh, even with the Cure ride, you're, you're walking out to start the, the ride. What's your swagger song? What's the walkout song? Oh, man. Um, uh, Renegades by Ex-Ambassadors um, because it's a, it's a really cool song. And because the keyboard player is also legally blind, so we gotta we gotta have a little connect there. Did not know that. Dang. Okay. Fun fact. Fun fact. There we go. I like that a lot. And in a in a good walkout song too. That's got a, a good peak there. Sweet. Wow, what a what a powerful episode all around. Um a truly amazing undergraduate experience and, and even just the things that you've done since undergrad within the sport of blind golf, but then also the messages that you've been able to share as a professional speaker. I'm thankful that we were able to to dive into some of those key insights and lessons and, and share that with our listeners. So thanks for being on the show, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Wow. What a powerful episode. That wraps up this week's edition of Our Very Own Balanced Men. I hope you all enjoyed Jeremy's inspiring story, and I encourage you to share it with a brother or a friend that could really benefit from Jeremy's message. That being said, we'll see you next week with another edition of Our Very Own Balanced Men.